Welcome to Rivers in the Desert International, a revival ministry dedicated to bringing the living waters of God's love to a hurting and dying world. It is our desire as you listen to the following message that the Holy Spirit will fill you afresh and that you would be ignited into a fervency for Jesus. This is the day to be filled with the knowledge of His glory as the waters cover the sea. God is doing something new on planet Earth today, and you and I have the great privilege to be a part of it. We love you. Be blessed. living in a culture that entertainment is the God. It's the golden calf of our culture, sports and entertainment. And we want to go in, and if you're not living right, don't go tomorrow, because you could drop dead. We did a, a shofar drive-by in Delaware. I encouraged the people, I, you know, people were just kind of, oh, go along, you know, let's have fun doing this thing. And I told them, don't you go to the casino with us tonight when we stand in front of the casino. If you're not living right and you know it, make, do yourself a favor and your family a favor, do not show up. Because people drop dead when this happens. This is not a game, folks. This is live rounds, okay? And so we blew the shofar, and there was a lady there, and, you know, she was really enjoying it and whatever, and her husband was in the background kind of driving around. And uh, I told people, don't come to this thing tonight to blow the shofar. And she went home, and she began to talk to her daughter in the living room. She said, I just want to apologize to you that mom's not been living right, and your dad's an alcoholic, and he acts like he's a Christian, whatever, and has a massive heart attack and drops dead on the floor. And so they took her to the hospital, and she was dead on the spot. And, of course, she was an organ recipient or donor, excuse me. And um, so I woke up the next morning. The pastor would take me to the airport to Baltimore, and he looked all ragged out. And I said, what happened to you? He goes, I've been up all night. I said, what happened? He says, you know you blew the shofar? He said, so-and-so dropped dead last night. I said, what? I said, why didn't you call me? He says, what do you mean? I said, where is she? He goes, in, in the hospital. I said, why don't you call me? He said, well, uh, uh, I said, we could pray for her to raise from, from the dead. Amen. He said, they already cut all the organs out. I said, so, so what? We'll get a bucket of mud and pour it in her chest cavity. Amen. Uh, I said, you're a pastor or just entertainer people. But it took that event for her dying, okay, to raise up the daughter. The daughter is now a missionary in China, hallelujah, on fire for God. She died, this mom died, okay, she's whatever, and the people in the church at first thought it got mad about the shofar, then they realized after a while, she died as a martyr to wake up our church. The pastor called me before I came here, he's all excited, hallelujah, because he got a big shoe into his gluteus maximus spiritually through that event, okay, and he said to me, something's happened in our church, Scott, he said there was a little a girl came forward who's totally blind in her, in her right eye, could not see, and came in the altar call, and everybody was watching, you know, and uh, this little girl said, you know, I, I want to see, I want people to stop picking on me in school, and I want to be able to wear, wear no glasses and not walk into the wall, and so the pastor goes, okay, that's nice. We're going to pray for you. And the Lord says to the pastor, spit in your hand in front of everybody and put it on, saliva on her eye. He's like, what? But he knew he had to do it. So he did it, and she instantly was healed. Hallelujah. And can see. And this is the real thing, because I know this guy. He's kind of intellectually stimulated all the time. He's like going wild about this. And then healing revival has broken out in Delaware at their church right now. 
And and mom had called. The son was killed in a car wreck, okay? The dead body in the hospital. He went there with the other pastor, raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. And so they're like going wild about it. We want you to come back. I said, you don't need me to come back. Just keep doing what you're doing. Hallelujah. I'm going to Israel. So I don't mind getting tough with somebody. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, entertainment's a drug. It is a drug, and God wants us to attack it. The epicenter of entertainment tomorrow. Hallelujah. This is spontaneous. How many people are excited about going? This section over here is not excited, okay? First John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You say, well, entertainment's not that bad. Yoo-hoo. Hello. You say, well, you know, it's okay. God doesn't mind me watching things. You know, there's no difference between this worship service and your home. During worship, and we're worshiping God, and you can put a DVD in during worship and not grieve the Spirit? Come on. You say, so what's, what, what's the standard which you live by? Whatever you watch on the internet, okay, whatever you listen to, whatever you watch, you cannot play it during worship tonight without grieving totally the service. You have no business watching it at home. And if you have a little girl, she can't sit, five-year-old girl can't sit next to you and watch something, you shouldn't be watching it. And when you go through that, okay, you're going to come into a place of purity, Okay, your mind will rebel because it wants to do something. It needs stimulus. It needs sight and sound. You just tell it to shut up and get in the back seat, okay? And let your heart start to drive this thing. Glory to God. And what will start to come out is a residue of signs and wonders like you've never seen before in your entire life. Hallelujah. So I encourage you, if you're not ready to go and you'll be honest about it, don't go, okay? Just say, I'm not ready to go. Because there is... This is a two-edged sword, okay? This thing kicks, okay? And uh, it does kick not just forward, but also backwards. God is a God of justice, okay? He told the people, cleanse yourselves, because in three days I'm showing up at Sinai, okay? That's what's happening right now. The first thing Jesus said when the Holy Ghost came on him was what? I want to prosper you. No. (laughs) Repent. For the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Okay? I feel good about being in California. I feel God wants is doing something. I, it, come on, hallelujah. So it says in Psalms 110, verse 1, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thy enemies a footstool for thy feet. The Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of thy enemies. Thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power. Woo! Psalms 110, verse 3. In the holy way from the womb of the dawn, the youth to thee are as the dawn. I encourage everybody here, we'll we'll adjourn the service when the Holy Spirit wants to, but I want you to get up at the dawn tomorrow. He wants to download something to you. Hallelujah. In the blackness before the sun comes up. It's the ultimate pursuit after God. It goes on here and and says in verse 7, he will drink from the brook by the wayside, therefore he'll lift up his head. We're talking about a battle 
warrior here. See, Jesus came as a suffering servant. He's coming back as a reigning military hero, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank God for the Hallmark Christian greeting guard. So Jesus holding a little lamb. Oh, isn't that nice? He already came like that. He's coming back as a reigning hero. His eyes are flames of fire, okay? John says, I became as a dead man when I saw him. That's the Jesus that's coming back to California, okay? Hallelujah. Don't be afraid. If you get killed tomorrow, hallelujah, we'll raise you from the dead. And if it's time for you to go home, enjoy yourself. Hallelujah. And if you get thrown in jail, hallelujah, glory to God, we'll leave you there for a while so you have revival. Hallelujah. You've got a captive audience. And some of the best books ever are written in prison. Hallelujah. Ho! Go back with me to Jer- make a right-hand turn out of Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16. Jeremiah 6 and 16. It says, thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And he said, I've set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the shofar. They said, we will not listen. Tomorrow when we blow the shofar, it is a warning to California. It is a warning to the people. It is a warning to us. We live in a gospel-hardened society, brothers and sisters. People are not listening to the gospel message. Christians are not living right. Okay? There's an apostasy within the leadership of the Pentecostal charismatic church right now. That's why you're feeling led to buy a shofar right now. That's why you're feeling led to blow it, even though you've never blown it before, okay? It's because inside is that John the Baptist, the Elijah warning is coming up as a watchman within you. When the shofar is blown, it initiates the plan of God over individual cities, regions, and nations, okay? This is going to be powerful tomorrow. Hallelujah. Don't look for the spectacular. It's going to be supernatural, but do not look for the spectacular. There's no telling what will happen tomorrow. All I'm saying to you, we're going to move in the spirit of justice, the spirit of purity. Hallelujah. You say, what does that spirit of justice feel like? It's like when you feel so angry against pedophiles. Come on. How do you feel about pedophiles? You don't feel anything? I'll ask over here. What do you feel about pedophiles? Come on. What do you feel about some man that comes in and beats up an 80-year-old grandmother? What do you feel about that should be done to that guy? Justice. When you have that righteous anger, that's the spirit of justice. And we need to maximize this and pull, it, and pull everything in this direction because this is the final move of the Holy Spirit on planet Earth. He's coming back as the judge of the earth. Hallelujah. But if you have a consciousness of sin and you're living in compromise, you're not going to want to move in this because you're going to feel like a hypocrite. Okay? So repent tonight. Get back to your first love and let's get busy, okay? Hallelujah. But I want to bring you now to the next point of what I wanted to share is how to maximize the move of the Holy Spirit in your personal life right now. Glory to God. Because this great blow the shofar and I leave and go to Israel and all this stuff and you guys are still here. There's got to be something, a residue left over that you guys continue this move of the Spirit. And it's by honoring the Holy Spirit and giving Him total freedom 
and have for him to be Lord. Amen. Now, in 2 Corinthians, you're with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I personally believe that 2 Timothy is a book for ministers, more than 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. <laughs> 2 Corinthians is one of the hidden books for ministry. Amen. It's a powerful, powerful book. And we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and it says in verse 5, not that we are adequate in ourselves, consider ourselves as anything coming from ourselves, but our accuracy is from God. That's the Greek word El Shaddai, by the way. Who also made us adequate servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So the day that the letter was given at Sinai, 3,000 people died. The day the Spirit was given corporately at Pentecost, 3,000 were born again. Amen. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Hallelujah. And there is an anointing on the letter. You can preach the Ten Commandments. There is an anointing on that letter, okay? But it produces death. That's why you need to have a good consumption of the law, because it produces death to sin. Hallelujah. Come on, folks. Hallelujah. But you need to follow it through with baptisms and fillings of the Spirit. Glory to God. The Lord always told me, he says, Simon, if you preach a hard message and you cut people open from sternum to belly button with repentance, make sure before the night's over that you sow them back up in the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. You just don't devastate. You rebuild too, okay? You got it? <laughs> Look at verse 7 now. For the, if the ministry of death and letters graved on stones came with glory, okay? Listen very carefully. You can minister under the letter and still bring a little bit of glory. That's why this synagogue today still has a measure of glory in it and holds the Jewish people together and doesn't scatter them, you know, like a bunch of gypsies because there is a glory still on the letter. And most denominational churches are built on the letter. We've got too many letter carriers. Not enough spirit carriers. So it goes on and says here, So that sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because the glory of his face, phasing it it was. How shall the ministry of the spirit fail to be even more in glory? That's where I'm going for. Hallelujah. The ministry of the spirit. We're talking about a glory. Hallelujah. We're talking about a glory shining from our faces that people will be convicted, will fall and say, what is it about you? Hallelujah. That's where God wants us to head into. We'll be loved and we'll be hated. We'll be lynched and loved, okay? Now, verse 9, if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case, I'm reading from the American Standard if you're trying to figure it out, has no glory in the count of the glory that surpasses it. Verse 11. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such hope, we, we use great boldness in our speech. And we're not as Moses, who used to put a veil over his face, that the sons of Israel may not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened unto this very day. So when the glory of God came on Mount Sinai, okay, and Moses came off the mount, 
with the heritage of the Judeo-Christian Ten Commandments, okay? And he began to minister under the letter, under the glory. The glory was still so strong, people didn't want to look at it. But it produced the fear. So the glory of God is going to come upon his church in this hour, hallelujah, and it's going to produce such a fear and such a, so to speak, a terror of the Lord that that's going to flush all this mamby-pamby, okay, Winnie the Pooh, seeker-sensitive nonsense messages out the door, hallelujah, and God is going to reveal himself in his church like never before in the days ahead. Because this is what we're called to do. Now, it's very interesting here, verse 14, their minds were hardened this very day. Why? Because when they rejected the glory that was on Moses' ministry, they became hardened. And those that reject this glory will be hardened. It goes on here and says, as the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it's removed in Messiah. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, most Jewish people I know that are Orthodox pray more than most Christians, okay? They're praying a minimum three times a day. They're up every morning praying, called Shacharit. They have a a zeal. They have a discipline of study and prayer that I don't see many Christians do, okay? And so I was always saying, Lord, aren't they seeking you? They're praying Shema Yisrael. They're praying all these things. They're fasting on Yom Kippur. Aren't they seeking you? Why don't you take the veil away? And the Lord said to me, read the next verse, son. <laughs> it's always good to read the next verse, you know. <laughs> and he says here, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Amen. Meaning when Jewish people are reading the Torah, and instead of listening to Rambam or the commentaries or the Talmud around that text, hallelujah, but they listen to the third person of the Godhead, glory to God, the veil's taken away. You can listen to man, the rabbis, or listen to the Holy Spirit. You can listen to tradition or the text that's coming alive by the Spirit. You can listen. Come on, folks. You can listen to the past glory that you had when you got saved or denomination, whatever you've been part of, okay? Or go into the free move of the Holy Spirit tonight. It's up to you. What are you going to channel? If I might use that word. (laughs) Are you going to channel your own personality or the Holy Ghost? There's a great book called, by Watchman Nee called The Latent Power of the Soul. Excellent book. You need to read that. The Latent Power of the Soul. And he talks about how crowds can be worked up. You know what I'm saying? And somebody can move in the personality or the, the power of the unrenewed mind and get people all excited and entertain people. And it's not the Holy Ghost at all. People, certain people have just a charisma about them. We're talking about being, dying to self, hallelujah, and being channels, being these conduits, these irrigation pipes, hallelujah, of the freedom of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So what causes the veil to come off people's minds in the context here of the Jewish people is when they turn to the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the living God who has been quenched, who has been persecuted, who has been ostracized, who has been grieved, who has been shut down from day one. And I don't want to be part of that crowd. Amen? Hallelujah. We have a lot of people who stand before God for blaspheming the Holy Spirit. 
It's a sin that will never be forgiven. That's up to God how he's going to do it. I just don't want to be a part of that, that judgment, okay? Now it goes on. Let's read it again. Verse 16. Whenever a man turns to the Lord. We're not talking about Jesus here. We're not talking about God, okay? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We don't have enough of the Holy Spirit being preached. We don't have enough of the Holy Spirit being allowed to move. Come on. The Holy Spirit has been shut out of the modern, seeker-sensitive movement. And some of you go to churches like that. You better get out of those places. You better sit down with your pastor and, and talk about this. And if he's scared of the Holy Ghost and doesn't want the Holy Ghost to move, you better get out of there because it has the smell of a mortuary. What, you want to move? Oh, I found a beautiful house that's next to a toxic waste dump. It's okay. The engineers say it doesn't affect us. You have enough sense to do that, right? Why is it so hard for Christians to get into the flow of the Holy Ghost? I know why. Entertainment. Because entertainment stimulates you. Most, listen, most worship we call in church today is nothing more but, but just a bunch of entertaining concerts. I like the spontaneous stuff tonight. Amen? I'm glad you came down, brother. I like that. Hallelujah. I like those war drums. Oh, glory to God. Because the things of the Spirit are foolishness to the natural mind. I love the Amplified on that. It says that they're utter nonsense, <laughs> foolishness. It's impossible for the natural mind to understand the things of the Spirit. So as long as you keep, listen, you need, listen, folks, we need our minds to drive our cars, okay, to pay our bills, okay, amen, all these other things. But our, God's not a brain, he's not a brainwave. He's a spirit. And you contact the realm of God with your spirit by faith, hallelujah, not with your mind. And entertainment is like steroids for your mind. It keeps you entertained. And we've almost lost the art of tearing before God. People, oh, that's boring. People get nervous if it's too quiet for too long, okay? So it goes on here and says, verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit. Woo! And where the Spirit is Lord, where the Spirit is Master, where the Spirit is the Conductor, where the Spirit is A to Z, everything, there is freedom. That's why I would I'd travel far to come to a place like this, because there's freedom being allowed. Hallelujah. And it's in this hydroponic garden of freedom, new things, Genesis comes up. New things are birthed. Hallelujah. Behold, verse 18, we all with unveiled face beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord. What's the glory of the Lord here? The freedom of the Spirit. Are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So we talk about from glory to glory. How about this? From faith to faith. How about this? From freedom to freedom. Into the, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So the word transform, you see that here? It's the same Greek word for the renewal of the mind. It's the Greek word metamorphosis. Okay? Caterpillar to a butterfly. Tadpole bullfrog. Okay? 
They're the same species. They, something happened, though, midpoint in their life. They came out totally different. God wants by His Spirit to transform us. Hallelujah. Metamorphosize us. Glory to God. And it's by the freedom of the Spirit. Verse 4. If you want this ministry, though, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, you better read it with me, okay? Therefore, since we have this ministry, what ministry? The freedom of the Spirit ministry. That's the context. The glory ministry, okay? We receive mercy. We do not lose heart. Why? You will lose heart or have temptation to lose heart if you do this type of ministry. Why? Because we've renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by manifestation of the truth. That's truth serum. Hallelujah. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You will wear your conscience on your sleeve. Hallelujah. With this type of ministry. You can't hide nothing from nobody. Glory to God. And verse 3, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Messiah, who is the image of God. The whole purpose of the enemy is to blind them from seeing the glory of God, reflecting us off. We're the mirrors of the glory. We do not preach ourselves. That's the problem. We preach ourselves too much. But as Christ Jesus and ourselves as what? Bond servants. Not just servants. Bond servants. It's those that put their ear on the door. Hallelujah. And give their life freely back to God. They're the ones that become spirit carriers. Hallelujah. Who have the great pleasure of walking into somebody's life, into their darkened house, and opening up the, all the window shades to let the light in. Hallelujah. What an honor. Glory to God. Now, verse 6 is incredible. For God who said, light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown into our hearts to give the light of the intimate knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Messiah. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The treasure that we're carrying around is an intimacy of this glory realm. Hallelujah. And it's this intimacy of the glory realm that Satan hates. Because this is what takes the blinders off people's eyes. Now keep looking here for for, for evangelism. It says here in verse 4, In whose haste the God of this world. Notice it's a small g there. Okay? Now the word world there does not mean planet. Okay? God owns the planet. He owns all the cattle on a thousand hill, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's the Greek word here, which means age. The enemy or Satan is the God of this age, A-G-E. Okay? And linguistic key, Greek New Testament, it says here, the word age is the floating mass of thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, aspirations of self anytime current in the world. So he is the God, not of the planet, he is the God of this floating mass of maxims and speculations and aspirations of self. And when we stand on Hollywood looking out over the whole valley, some may see it, some may not, but floating over that whole thing, hallelujah, is the God of this world, okay, 
that's downloading into the people aspirations of self. Pile driving like a foundation, okay, into the ground to get people all about self. And that's all he's got of. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's why it's so easy to take him on when you die to self. Hallelujah. He has no, no place to grab a hold of you. Hallelujah. So this is what we're moving into, okay? Now, verse 7 says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And it says here, verse 8, we're afflicted in every way. You know when you have a job to do, you kind of just recalibrate yourself to get it done, you know, that week? If you have a paper due, come on, all these things, you just decide, I'm going to get it done, Okay. You better start calibrating yourself, okay? Because the glory of God that's moving in our midst, you better get ready, okay? Because we're going to be afflicted. And I ain't talking about sickness, okay? Or babies dying. I'm talking about persecution from the religious right. (laughs) The control freaks. The spineless neo-Nazis that call themselves leaders, okay? Ha! We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always, everybody say always. Always. Caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may manifest in our flesh. So you're going to walk in the ebbs and flows of daily dying to self. We die daily. Hallelujah. You say, why am I going through this? But you have the greatest privilege to be a carrier of this treasure. Hallelujah. Remember I told you Psalm 69? Keep your finger here. Come on, go to Psalm 69. Make sure your finger stays in that text, okay? Psalm 69 and verse 8. I want to prep you, okay? We're not in heaven yet, okay? When I talk about the glory of God and this wonderful presence here of God that's flowing among us, it's not because things will get necessarily better, better, and better. We're being downloaded. We're being strengthened because there's trials and tribulations ahead we have to go through. Smile, hallelujah. What a joy, hallelujah. Verse 8, it says, I have become estranged from my brother, Psalm 69, 8, an alien to my mother's sons, for zeal for thy house have what? Consumed me. Who said that in the New Testament? Jesus. When he went into his house, amen? Now notice the next part of the verse. And the reproaches of those who reproach thee have fallen on me. And for a long time, you know, the last 18 to 24 months, I, I've been, God's been telling me sheer obedience. Get him, son. Hallelujah. And just preach repentance and holiness and just, I could care less what people say. Hallelujah. Just take a big drink of the Holy Ghost, new wine, come into the service. Hallelujah. Doesn't matter what you say or what I say, it matters what he says. Hallelujah. And at times he says, I like it when you're relentless. Hallelujah. Get him. Hallelujah. And I feel this unquenchable zeal for his house. I mean, I look in the mirror, I see gray hair, but I feel 23 years old. You know what I'm saying? There's a drive that has come inside of me. Hallelujah. Oh, there is a strength. There is a, anyway. So what I'm trying to get at is that there's this drive for his house. And then I started getting all these, I mean, 
It's like driving on your motorcycle into a bug storm. You know what I'm saying? You go around the corner, all of a sudden, all of these people sort of manifesting. And I couldn't understand why it was happening. I mean, I know a little bit. And the Lord said to me, he said, you passed the test. And then he showed me this scripture. He says, my greatest honor for you, my greatest reward, my son, for you, this side of heaven, is all the blasphemies and all the people say against me for me to allow it to fall on you. Some of you are not catching that because you watch TV too much. I love you. The greatest honor this side of heaven is for those who reproached him. He allows us to bear that reproach. We become those that go outside the camp bearing his reproach. Hebrews chapter 13. This is the hidden altar that even the priests don't even have a right to eat of. We are those that go outside the camp bearing his reproach. Hallelujah. Lord, please. Open up people's heads tonight. Pour it in. Close it up. Hallelujah. What an honor. What an honor to be trashed. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, hey, listen, you have a lot of teachers but few fathers. Follow my fatherhood. What kind of fatherhood? You know, listen, we're the dregs of all things. We're the scum of the earth. Come on, folks. We elevate ministries. We elevate anointings too much. We have elevated all this. We have a personality cult, who's who, and the charismatic zoo. All this stuff going on, okay? And we, we're supposed to be, come on, we're supposed to be the scum of the earth. We're supposed to be people that are reproached, go from holes to caves, to the Marriott, to a hole, to a cave, whatever. Hallelujah. Goat skins. You know, it smelled like that tonight when you're blowing that shofar. Hallelujah. (laughs) Keep drinking, sister. Hallelujah. Bakersfield needs it, okay? (laughs) Now, notice here, let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's read that in the next context now. Because the kingship mentality among believers is to elevate somebody else, okay, to do our battles for us, okay? And we honor them, and we call them the man of God, and we treat them as a king and as a queen and all that, and God hates it. Because the greatest among you shall be greatest, right? <laughs> the first shall be first, right? <laughs> Okay, let's dive into this hidden realm so we can be carriers of the glory and see buku souls born again. Okay, now it says here in verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. We who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh, so death works in us, but life in you. Having the same spirit of faith. It's not a formula. 
It's not a name it, claim it. It's going outside the camp and bearing his reproach. You'll understand what faith is. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and bring us with you. For all things are for your sake. Whoa! That the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to bound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light of... I wish people would get a hold of that. You know, listen, our outer man is decaying. People are losing heart with all these, you know, plastic surgeries. Have you noticed all these ministers getting plastic surgeries? And they look like, you know... I, mean, I don't mind a little paint on the barn door. It makes it look good, okay? But... It's, come on, people are getting consumed with plastic surgery. And when God says, let it be the inner man, the gentle spirit shining out. Now it goes on, it says here, verse 17, for a momentary light affliction producing for us an eternal weight of glory. So Paul says all these things being the scum of the earth and all these things, it's just like light affliction. <laughs> glory to God. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are not seen, things which are seen are temporal, excuse me, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And then he goes into chapter 5 talking about the ministry of reconciliation. So if we get chapter 4 down into our spirit and start walking it out, we'll see the ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors of Messiah kick in in an even greater way. Now let's talk about the Holy Spirit, okay? Go with me to Luke chapter 4. Actually, let's go to Luke chapter 1 to catch the context. Now, whenever God wants to do something new, he looks for a pure vessel. What we see here is that the last 400 years before Luke writes this was called the silent years. From Malachi to Matthew, there is absolutely no prophetic word. This is a very dangerous period in Israel. It's because the 400 years from Malachi to Matthew, there was what is called a mystical movement came about from the influence of Persian dualism, okay, and Egyptian mysticism. Came into Israel a prophetic Yahoo bunch, I say, that wrote what is called the intertestamental literature, it's in the Catholic Bible, called the pseudographical, okay, or apocrypha. It never made it to the canon of the Protestant Bible, thank God, because it's yo-yo material, okay? <laughs> it's like somebody went out there in the springtime in the valley floor in Beersheba, ate too many mushrooms, and came back and had all these weird dreams, okay? <laughs> it is a mystical move, okay? And this is what happens. When, there is, when people begin to divorce a lot, the main thing of Malachi, the last word, malchi, it's not Malachi, he's not the last Italian prophet, okay? It's Malchi, my messenger. Has no name to it. This messenger came and said, I hate divorce. Yep. Hello? Yep. I hate divorce. Yep. He says, my messenger is going to come suddenly to my temple and clean it out. And then talks about tithing and other things, Okay? And because the priesthood was corrupt, sounds like today, doesn't it? And there was so much divorce going on among the priesthood, sounds like today, okay? And it's... 
that suddenly there was 400 years of prophetic nothing happening. And when there is no true prophets in operation, it's because people are sinning. Mainly it has to do with divorce, okay? And in that time period, people began to look for spiritual phenomena. And that vacuum rushed in Egyptian mysticism, okay? Persian dualism. And that's how we got the apocrypha, or pseudographical literature means false literature. A lot of signs and wonders, a lot of dreams, a lot of angelic visitations, but it's whacked out material. Sounds like today's, most of today's prophetic movement to me. And so the first person that appears in this balagon in Hebrew, which means a, you know, a mess, is John the Baptist. Repent! For the kingdom of heaven's at hand. It is the message of repentance that purifies, hallelujah, and that convicts. He got his head taken off for what? Divorce. Hello? That's a no-no word today. Divorce and remarriage. Listen, if you had problems and you remarried, I'm not... I'm not trying to hammer you, okay? I'm talking about the leadership, the Levites, who can't keep their Levites on, okay? If you can't keep your house in order, who says you should even be in the pulpit? It's getting really quiet here tonight. You want me to preach on marriage for a while? Come on, John the Baptist came. He preached repentance. Repentance is what burns out mysticism and false doctrine. Repentance is what burns out the enemy that has come in through Persian dualism, Egyptian mysticism, etc., etc., etc. Okay? Repentance is what pierces people's soul about sexual immorality, divorce. Okay? And he got his head put on a platter because of it. And if there was that spirit of Elijah preparing the first return of Jesus, what is the second return of Jesus going to be like? The same thing. The same spirit of Elijah company. Hallelujah. Whoa! But if you watch entertainment a lot, guess what's going to happen? You're going to sleepwalk and not be ready when this happens. It's happening right now in California. I can feel it! Okay, so... Let me explain to you, to get John the Baptist into the earth, the Holy Spirit had to do something. Now, if we follow this pattern, what I'm about to read to you about John, uh, John's father and Mary, if we follow what the Holy Spirit did here, every other miracle in the Bible will follow suit to this. Okay, let's start reading. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. This is fresh manna for you all. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a certain priest named Zacharias, the vision of Aviah, he had a wife from the daughters of Aharon, and her name was Elisheva, not Elizabeth. I can't stand English transliteration. It's so disgustingly Latin. Anyway. And they were both righteous in the sight of the Lord, walking what? Upright or blameless. That's the Hebrew word tamim, which we've been talking about, okay, or teleos in the Greek, Okay. Walking blamelessly in what? All the commandments and requirements of the Lord. That's incredible. 
613 of those babies. 613 of these babies they walked in in the midst of all the prophetic yahoos going on around them. They had no child because Elisheva was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now, it came about while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of the divisions. According to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were in prayer outside at the hour of incense offering. Now, before we say anything else, let me say this. Okay, here's God's man. He is blameless, okay? He is operating as a priest. And all the commandments of the Lord, he's pure. He has a prayer meeting going on outside. What kind of prayer meeting is this? Well, let me put it this way. It's a bunch of Jewish moms crying out, why? Who's in charge of the land at this time? What army? The Roman army. And they are not a UN peacekeeping force, okay? They're ruthless and they're barbaric, okay? So listen, you have all these people with this messianic idea, this mysticism. You have the zealots who want to take out the Romans, okay? You have all these people that are still living in the 200 years before the Maccabees, who pushed off the Greeks, okay, and the Ptolemies, and now they're having the same ambitions. We can do it to the Romans, okay, to the Romans. And you have all these people that are praying at the temple that are incensed because Jewish people can't stand when you have a statue, okay, of Caesar in the courtyard, can you get the picture tonight? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It ain't a little prayer meeting, okay? <laughs> and here's the moment for God to bring in his messenger, hallelujah, hallelujah. through a man who's walking pure in the glory realm with a prayer meeting of a bunch of Jewish mamas outside, so to speak. Yeah. Hallelujah. Can't go wrong with that. Glory to God. And it says, verse 11, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. Hallelujah. The angel said, do not be afraid, Zacharias. Your petition has been heard. Your wife, Elisheba, will bear you a son. You'll give him the name Yochanan. And he'll have joy and gladness, and many rejoice at his birth. For he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine, drink no wine, drink no wine, drink no wine. <laughs> you make sure that board's running okay back there, okay? <laughs> or liquor, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel, the Lord their God. Oh, Hallelujah. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Eliyahu. Let me ask you a question. Did Elijah have a lot of miracles in his life? Yes, yes, yes. Did John the Baptist do any miracles? So that means that hasn't been totally fulfilled yet. He operated in the spirit of Elijah, but not the power of Elijah. That means when Jesus returns, there oh, hallelujah. See, it's called Hebrew parallelism, okay? It's the yes, but not yet of Hebrew prophecies, okay? When in this pro- prophetic word is coming forth here, okay, verse 17, is a quotation for the Old Testament. It means yes, but not yet. Okay? So he came in the spirit of Elijah, but the second return of Jesus, whoo, is going, there must be somebody's hiding something on this carpet, hallelujah. You, 
<laughs> I was preaching in Canada at a church, and uh, I was preaching hard on sin. God was saying, get him, get him. And I was preaching, and man, the elders were just like mad. And uh, people get up and leave, and I says, good, leave. We need your chair. Anyway, you know, just get the unbelief out, you know. Preach it out. And I said, God's going to judge every sin in this place. And as soon as I said that, a rat or a mouse ran out in front of, right where I was standing, under the stage. And all the ladies go, ah! And the rat, and ran back under the stage. I said, see, God's going to expose every hidden sin here. You better get in the altar now. It's funny, everybody went to the altar, but nobody laid down in the altar. Everybody's like, ooh. <laughs> God shook that place. Anyway, so we see in the return of the spirit of Elijah, the second John the Baptist crowd, that's you and I, hallelujah, yes. is going to be the spirit and power. Hallelujah. Raising the dead, causing no rain on the earth. Come on, folks. You say, where is that in the Bible? Oh, you read James 5? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And Elijah was a man like us with the same passions, and he prayed and didn't rain. He prayed again and it rained. And then who know who turns back his soul from the sinner from the error of his way shall receive. Amen. Who knows what God wants to do tomorrow as we look over the skyline and try to through the fog of whatever uh, one of the largest cities on planet Earth. Who knows what God wants to do to wake them up? To wake us up, all I say, Lord, is praise God. Pass the ammunition because the almighty dollar and God we trust is about to be judged. Elijah, agricultural society in an arid country, rain was judged. America, hallelujah. The spirit and power of Elijah, verse 17, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. The first thing that happens when the spirit of repentance gets moving, hallelujah, is the fathers want to be fathers again. How many wives here want your husbands on fire for God? That settles that. Okay, next. And the disobedient... To the attitude of the righteous so as to make people prepared for the Lord. I love this word here. Come on, stay with me, folks. Come on. The word prepared for the Lord, a people, it says, a people perfectly prepared in spirit, adjusted and disposed and placed in right moral state. So to get this preparation for the Lord to return, there has to be a people in the right moral state again. And we're going to do a direct hit on the communication centers of immorality in the world. Hallelujah. Some of you are not even understanding what I'm saying. Come on, folks. I'm trying to help you tonight. Hallelujah. I'm talking about a tactical direct strike. Hallelujah. On Saddam Hussein's communication centers on the first day of the Gulf War. I'm talking about a direct smart bomb strike. Hallelujah. On the center of the pornography industry. In the world. 
Hallelujah. Nothing like the smell of napalm in the morning. Hallelujah. I've done this all the time. I drive by adult bookstores, blow the shofar, it burns down or goes out of business. We do it all the time. Hallelujah. It's fun. Hallelujah. I'd much rather do that than go bass fishing. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now we're going after the big one. Hallelujah. The mother of all battles. Hallelujah. <laughs> now we blew the show for the X-Files and it disintegrated. Hallelujah. Now it's time for the entire science fiction Hollywood industry. Can somebody do a map quest to find out where Spielberg's offices are, please? Okay, can you do that for me, brother? Thank you. Okay, we are preparing for battle for those who just walked in. Good to have you tonight. Hallelujah. Drinks are on the house. Glory to God. Now let's keep on moving forward here. Now verse 18 is a big problem, okay? Zacharias said to the angel, how should I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said, I am Gabriel, who stands in the very presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until this day, these things, because you did not believe my words. You did not believe my words. You did not believe my words. Now, why is the angel so hard on him? He's an old man. Come on. He's with a bunch of Jewish people. You got 10 Jews, 11 opinions, okay? Things are messed up 400 years without a prophetic word. Give the guys some break, a slack. No. Let me tell you something. Did he have any children? Was he advanced in years? What would he pray three times a day out of rote? Elohe Abraham, Elohe Yitzhak, Elohe Yaakov, Baruch Atah Adonai. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the miracle baby Isaac from an old people, Abraham and Sarah, and the God of Jacob. Come on, folks. Hallelujah. Somebody get a calculator out. Okay. Three times a day. Come on. Let's say he's 80 years old. So it says he was five years old. So 75 years. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Who's got a calculator? Okay. Three times a day times 365 times 75. That quick? 75,000. Okay, 75,000 times estimate. He has prayed the God of our fathers, Abraham, the miracle baby Isaac. You can be in the very glory of God and be righteous and be fulfilling all the commandments, but when it comes time for your miracle, you're not activated for it. It's called mental assent. That you agree with it, but you don't act on it. Come on, folks. What is the entire history of Abraham? He made a big mistake. We're still delivering with it today. Ishmael, okay? Isaac was a miracle baby. 
Every day that he's praying, he should be infused with faith. Hey, I'm an old man. My wife's an old lady. Okay. Don't mean that in a bad way. Okay. We got this Jewish prayer meeting going on. I'm in the glory realm. An angel shows up. The first angel in 400 years. I'm going to have a baby. Your prayer's answered. How should I know this for certain? I'm an old man. My wife's advanced in years. Boom, shut the guy up. It's not enough to live pure. It's not enough to kill your TV set. Hallelujah. It's not, it's not enough to be praying. It's not enough to have a visitation. You've got to operate in faith. And when God shows up, you obey suddenly. Hallelujah. You've got to be able to spring out in faith in your mind, not to have the paralysis of analysis. And I've learned how to shut down my brain. Hallelujah. I come from a family that's very highly educated. Most Jewish people I know are like that, okay? My father was driving me to go to Cornell University. One of those stupid Ivy League schools that lost the glory of God after Jonathan Edwards. Come on, folks. My father was a test pilot in the Air Force, flying B-52s with hydrogen nuclear bombs under his wings, stationed in a SAC base in, in England. And then said to me, I remember when I was a young kid, he said to me, you know, Scott, he said, son, he said, you'll never, you never work for the government. I said, why, Dad? <laughs> you'll never make more money than the president. <laughs> you got to be independent from the government. And so he used the Air Force to pay his way through law school. He did law school and MBA school at the same time. Same time he's flying B-52s. The guy wrote crossword puzzles for the New York Times. Well, I was jammed into that environment. And then later when I got born again, I had such a desire for the word. Man, you should see my Bible. It looks like a Dead Sea Scroll parchment from K4 at Qumran, okay? My father came up to me once and says, man, you study the Bible so much, you could be a brain surgeon if you just apply it toward medicine. I said, I am a brain surgeon. What do you mean? I'm called to deliver people of their natural mind. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank God he's saved. And he's listed in the night. Hallelujah. Get him, son. Hallelujah. But you can be so analytical and so everything has to be in a five-year timer, even though you're living right, even though you're praying, even though you're in the glory realm, that when your miracle comes, uh, uh, you, come on, folks, you've got to live down here. Hallelujah. And I'm going to share with you how you can live down here, not out of here. Not, you know, not, you know, become a vegetable. But you know the difference between the voice of your soul and the voice of the spirit. And so when God says something, we go, boom, hallelujah. God says, move to Israel, boom, we're already there. I mean, we're, we're there, but we're not there. God says, go, bam, go, boom, go. So awesome, Hallelujah. Thank God I got a wife. She's like that too. Hallelujah. I wish I was with you. Hallelujah. Blow it twice at Ophrah. 
Okay, come on. Let's now see the next, the most incredible miracle in the entire Bible before the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 28, Luke chapter 1. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, Gavriel, was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. By the way, my wife is from Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Yosef, not Joseph, Yosef, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was who? Miriam. Remember Miriam? Take out that tambourine, dancing, Sister Moses. That's we got to get out of this all this Latinized words. Miriam, it's not Mary. Anyway. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. And she, kept, she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said, Do not be afraid of Mary. See, people say, I saw an angel, and they're not afraid. Don't listen to him. Okay? It'll mess you up, okay? You have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Yeshua. Woo! He'll be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Miriam said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? She did not question the angel. It couldn't happen. She just asked how. Remember I told you, Jewish people, when somebody asks you a question, you answer back on the question, okay? (laughs) And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Offspring will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary said... Behold, the bond slave, uh, hallelujah, the bond slave or the bond servant of the Lord, be it done to me according to your rhema. Not logos, your rhema, your spoken word. And the angel departed from her. Now let's back up and try to get out of your brain, if you're from a Catholic background, okay, the Immaculate Conception and all these things, okay. And let's go back to the original context, okay, because the Logos becoming flesh inside of her was the greatest miracle before the resurrection of Jesus. And every other miracle will come the same direction. Why? Because the angel said in verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. How many people believe that? The actual Greek here is, doesn't say that. The translators try to help us out and they help us in the ditch. The actual Greek is, no word from God is void of power. You've heard that one word from God can change your life? Okay. Come on, let's get. Nothing with God's impossible. Oh, God, please do this. Please do this. Will you listen to me? Oh, God, please do this. Will you listen to me? The first commandment is what? Hear, Hear Israel. Why? Pissed. How does the impossibilities become possible is by his spoken word. 
So in heaven, the Bible says that the Logos became flesh. Okay, Logos in Greek is Jesus, okay, it's the Word, but Logos is also the eternal counsel of God in the heavens that there's no way with our finite minds to understand it, okay? Logos, it's incredible, okay? So how does God communicate from his eternal Logos to us, finite beings, and the rabbis before Jesus came came up with a saying in Aramaic called Mimrah, which means spoken word. They were on the right track, but they just missed it. That how God is going to communicate to us who is infinite to a finite being is by his spoken word. And so that's where we get the word rhema from. Rhema is something spoken. It's not the entire counsel of God. It's just one piece of the puzzle. Hallelujah. Rhema is like a seed. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, nothing's impossible to you. Let me ask you a question. Do you hum, if I pulled out an apple seed, do you know how many apples are in that apple seed? No. Well, what does it take for the seed to grow? It has to die first. When the soil conditions are right. Hallelujah. And it has its own power of production. It's pre-programmed when the water and the temperature of the soil, suddenly it comes alive. And so if you understand the parable of the sower, you understand all the mysteries of the kingdom, Mark chapter 4. Basically, when God is looking in these meetings for, you know, hallelujah, people's hearts, they don't have all the cares of life and the sticks and the stones and all these things in it, hallelujah. So we can start implanting rhemas into you. And then the rhema has the power of its own fulfillment. So this is what she said, Okay. How can this happen? Now think like a Jewish girl now, okay? First of all, for her not to doubt this shows her incredible spiritual maturity. Because in the Bible, women were never used very much except for Deborah and a few others. The Holy Spirit did not come upon people except the prophet, priest, and king. And there was only a few of them that were women. But she was a woman of the word because she understood the prophecy of Joel. In the days ahead, my spirit will be poured out upon your sons and your daughters. Hallelujah. Even today, that's very hard to take for a lot of religious men. <laughs> also, Nazareth. Anything good come out of Nazareth, Philip said? No. The reason why... You know, two good things did come out of Nazareth, Jesus and my wife. Hallelujah. But anyway, for me personally. <laughs> Nazareth was a trucker stop on the Via Maris, on the highway. Between the Euphrates and Egypt, the Via Maris, away by the sea, it went right up into Nazareth, okay? And they have found a huge Roman city there, right next to Nazareth, and it was filled with all the gods and all the garbage of the Roman world that came through there. And for her to find favor with God, hallelujah, and to be preserved for that event, glory to God, she wasn't in Jerusalem, she was in the hillbilly outback truck stop area of the Via Maris, hallelujah. Praise God. I like this lady, hallelujah. You got to go to Israel and see all this stuff. I'm telling you, you're going to flip out. You're, 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 control, alt, delete. You know, your hard drive seized up. It won't spin anymore. We'll take you back to the hotel, pray for you, give you your Bible, bring it back the next day and show you something different. Anyway, 
Okay, let's go back. She is a, a woman, a young girl, who lives in Nazareth, the armpit of the world, so to speak. Okay, I'm serious. Who understands that the Holy Spirit's going to fall upon women, so doesn't doubt it like Zacharias does. And, but she asks, how is this going to happen? And what the angel said to her produced such faith. I want to produce faith in you right now. You ready? The angel said, look at verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Where is that mentioned in the Bible? Go with me to Genesis chapter 1. Hallelujah! Uh, uh, uh. Verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? And the earth was tohu vavohu, formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was doing what? Hovering or moving over the surface of the waters, and God said, let there be light, okay? And everything continues from that day on, right? God spoke one rhema, and the Spirit of God created it. Hallelujah! So let's get the picture here. The Spirit of God is hovering over absolute nothingness. Tohu vabohu means nothing. Wasteland. And so the Holy Spirit was hovering. The Hebrew word for hovering here is merachefet. Say that, merachefet. Merachefet is the same word used of a bird landing or hovering before it lands on its nest. Jesus did not do one miracle until the Holy Spirit hovered over him. Please get out of your mind those people that made the Jesus movies and has this little Holy Spirit dove or pigeon appears on Jesus' shoulders and he goes and does all these miracles. It's so weak, it's so carnal, it's so Hollywood. Yuck. The Holy Spirit's not a bird. Say it to your neighbor, the Holy Spirit is not a bird. He came like a dove. He's not a dove. Well, brother, you ruined my logo for my ministry. Good. You know, don't have any pigeon or bird on it, please, okay? You want to have a bird, have a screaming eagle. Ah! <laughs> like an eagle, thou Lord comes to his house. Hosea 8.1. Hallelujah. Uh-oh, I'm sorry. Hey, I did it. I did it. She said it. <laughs> <laughs> you, okay, come on. It's okay. It's okay. No, it's okay. The dove brought the olive branch back in Genesis, okay? Okay, okay. After the flood. But people think the Holy Spirit's a bird. He's been so grieved. He's been so quenched. He's been so boxed out of Sunday morning. The Holy Spirit, Merachephet, hovered over Jesus and landed like a dove. And Jesus rose up out of the water, glory to God. And the Spirit led him to a miracle ministry? No. The Spirit drove him. Ikbalo says, throw a ball. Ikbalo, ball, throw a ball. The Spirit drove him, threw him out of the revival meeting in the Jordan, into the, the, the Midbar, and he took on the devil 40 days and 40 nights. 
And then he returned to the Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So there's fillings of the Spirit. Then there's drivings of the Spirit into the desert for you to take on the devil and win. And if you don't win, you've got summer school classes to go back and try it again. Hallelujah. And then you return to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Whoa! The same word, Iqbalo, means to cast out devils, you know. And my name shall cast out devils. It doesn't mean, uh, how many are in you? Oh, three. That's my favorite number. You come out, please, in Jesus' name. That's not how you deal with devils, okay? Come out! Jesus used, I love this word, and then King James says, be thou quiet. Jesus is not King James. Jesus is not coming to England. He's coming back to Tel Aviv, excuse me, Jerusalem and all those other cities there, okay? He's Israeli, okay? In Hebrew, he said, shek it. Everybody say that. Shek it. It means shut up. If there's a bunch of cats fighting the garbage can outside my window in Tel Aviv, I say, shek it. And everything runs away. That's what Jesus did to the devils. Shut up and come out. Jesus didn't speak to the storm. Be thou quiet. Shuck it. <gasps> Who is this man? Even the storm and the waves obey him. Come on, come on, ladies. You're going to have to get more aggressive here for Jesus. Hallelujah. So the Spirit hovered over Jesus and everything took off. The Spirit hovered over nothingness in Genesis, and to this day it still continues. And Mary, being a Jew, good Jewish girl, come on, let's go back to Genesis now. Come on, go back to, I mean, go back to Luke. Luke 135. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will merachefet, overshadow, hover. Where is that in the Bible? She's a good Jewish girl. She knows from five years of age, memorized the five books of, of Moses. She knows by heart. I could say it in my sleep. Bereshit bara Elohim, Bezalmai, Bezalmai. I know by heart. I learned it by heart because I wanted a lot of money from our bar mitzvah. Anyway, I'm going to die. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is going to hover over you just like it did in Genesis 1. <gasps> Be it done to me according to your rhema. You mean to tell me I'm a virgin and my womb is tohu avohu, it's desolate, it's a wasteland, nothing there, and the Spirit of God's going to hover over my womb, over me, the same way you did in Genesis? Well, be it done to me according to your spoken word. And boom, it happened. We put way too much emphasis on the rhema and not on the hoverings of the Spirit. We're putting way too much emphasis on getting a word from God instead of letting the Spirit hover over us and deliver the word. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 10. You ever wonder why, how God took care of all these Jewish people in the wilderness and their wanderings? You ever wonder how he did all that? I've been there. I'll take you down there. Man, that place is desolate. That place is... <laughs> the wilderness of Zen, whew. Chapter 32 and verse 10. He found him in a desert land, in the howling waste 
of the wilderness, the Yishimun. He encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that does what? Hovers. Same Hebrew word from Genesis 1 and Luke 1. As the hovers, Merachephet over its young, he spread his wings and caught them and carried them on his pinions. It was the hoverings of the Spirit in the desert that took care of the children of Israel. Whenever God wants to do something new, he looks for availability. And the availability is not just to hear a word. He's looking for those who will allow the Spirit to hover and to brood over them. I was in New York City and things weren't happening. I was hungry and thirsty for God. I got up early in the morning and started praying and prayed for six weeks. The first week, God basically gave me a frontal lobotomy. Hallelujah. <laughs> he let the guillotine of his presence drop on my brainstem. Hallelujah. One of the best things ever. I wish I would have, they would have taught me that in seminary. Glory to God. I started crying out to God, and the heavens were shut up like brass. Nothing was happening. I start wearing myself out. Into the second week, I realized, you know, I'm too selfish here. Maybe I had to intercede for the nation. So I started growing and try to, you know, act like I was speaking, you know, Arabic or, you know, or Zwahili or whatever, you know. And I just wear myself out. And the end of the second week, I began to fall asleep. I was so tired in the morning getting up to pray. Hallelujah. And as soon as I started getting quiet, the Spirit of God started hovering over me. And I realized the more I pray in the morning, more pain. The more I shut up in the morning, the more I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. That I have two ears and one mouth, glory to God. Twice as much listening as I should be speaking, glory to God. That the early morning time is his time. It's not my time to have a grocery list, a prayer request, and all these things that I want. Thank you, Lord, and go and do what I need to do. Hallelujah. It's a time to soak and be still and to listen. What a time in the morning. Your mind's half asleep, your body's groggy, but your spirit's wide awake. What a time to get uninterrupted downloads from heaven, glory to God. With no buffering, glory to God. And after six weeks of doing that, God taught me how to be still and to listen. And his spirit, his word came and cut me wide open. And I began to judge between my my thought life, between uh, the thought of my mind and and the voice of my soul, the voice of my body, and the voice of the enemy. How many times have you been walking down the street and the Lord says, witness to that person? You say, Lord, was that you or was that me? How many times the Lord says, I want you to go Acapulco right now for one day. You're going to meet one guy in the beach and cast the devils out of him and come back. You say, get behind me, Satan. Come on. Dangerous. The first commandment is listen. And at the end of that six weeks, the Lord came to me one morning. It wasn't spectacular, but it was glorious. Hallelujah. I learned how to wait upon the Lord. And the, the fourth week of doing this, uh, I decided to go to the beautiful uh, Brighton Beach, Brooklyn, uh, 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 Coney Island Beach, you know, to pray one morning. Beautiful beach. You know, you got littered body parts and beer bottles and, you know, car tires there. Beautiful beach to pray at, you know. And I was praying one morning, watching the sun come up, and, I, and the Lord began to say to me, just listen, son. Don't ask me. Just listen. You can ask me things later in the day, but I just want you to listen to me. And I began to listen. And I got on the, to the Belt Parkway to go home, and New York City tra- rush hour was picking up, and suddenly I found myself a Russian Jewish lady had come up on her Impala and hit a Jamaican man on the motorcycle, ran over the guy. 
It was ugly. A bunch of Pakistani guys jumped out and trying to help the guy. I was the second car there. I jumped out. All the gasoline is rushing out of the gas can. You know, the guy is like, ugh. And I noticed he's grabbing into his pocket swallowing bags of cocaine. So he's, you know, he's wanting to swallow it so the police or whoever doesn't find it. So, and he's, I mean, he's messed up bad. Everybody's rubbernecking. And the Pakistanis, don't touch him, don't touch him. Gasoline, fire, fire, fire. And, I, and because I had been waiting upon the God, I was just so full of the Holy Ghost, you know. I was just saturated. And I just said, forget it. And I kneeled down in that gasoline puddle, lifted his head up, and began to say, listen, I'm a Christian. Jesus loves you. And he's like, ah. And you can tell he's going into shock or dying. I don't know what's happening to him. And I began to lead him to Jesus. Hallelujah. And then he either died or went into shock. I don't know what happened to him. And the ambulance came and pushed me away and threw him on the journey, and they were gone. I was covered in gasoline. I got my car and went, yes, hallelujah. <laughs> Lord, I dedicate myself. Put me a meter from the gate of hell. Let me rescue prisoners about to fall into a crisis eternity. And then I heard the voice of the Lord. He said, son, if you had not positioned yourself in the morning, I could not use you later in the day. What? And I saw in the spirit a domino effect. That when I get up in the morning and I get downloaded with my daily bread, it's not just for me, hallelujah, that I now become a carrier, Holy Ghost positive, hallelujah. I become, come on folks, I become a carrier of miracles. And God began to cause intersections and not coincidences, Christ incidences to happen in my life now because I am downloaded with fresh manna, not yesterday's. And now wherever I go during that day is a totally incredible miracle day because of all these things because I waited in the morning the sixth week I heard a still small voice the Lord says I want you to take your wife and five others two others were full-time ministers of somebody of God I want you to go to Rabbi Menachem Schneerson's world headquarters in Crown Heights Brooklyn and blow the shofar for judgment this was a man that many people considered to be the Messiah there of Jewish faith uh, he was a uh, Operating some strange signs and wonders. He was a false prophet, Navi Shekhar in Hebrew. They began to proclaim him to be the Messiah. This is the real thing. Dr. Michael Brown, some of you may know him from Brownsville Revival. Dr. Michael Brown, he says he's the greatest, most significant false Messiah ever in Jewish or church history the last 2,000 years. And Mike flipped that when I told him what God told me to do. He goes, what? You know who this guy is? I said, I, I a little bit about it, but I didn't know really. The guy just said, go and blow the shofar. And so I pulled up, somebody had given us a Lincoln Continental, hallelujah, with tinted windows, the ultimate Brooklyn Mafia car. I'm telling you, it was just perfect, you know. And we pulled up a block away. I was going to do a shofar drive-by with all these other ministers. You know, we had a sunroof. We were going to do a shofar drive-by and get out of there. And, and the reason why is because there was a Palestinian terrorist attack at that place a few weeks earlier. So there was a lot of New York City police officers undercover there. And here we pull up in a black Lincoln, okay, with tinted windows. And the windows come down, electric windows, and a shofar comes out. It is not kosher to the police department, okay? Seriously. But that's the paralysis of analysis. Come on. We always think the worst to carnal nature. So I pull up a block away, and my wife looks at me and says, what are you doing? I said, well, we're going to blow the shofar right here. She goes, what? You're scared. I'm not scared. I was scared. <laughs> I want you to blow the shofar in this front door. I says, okay, here we go, ma'am. Pull up to the front door, roll down the windows. Thousands of Hasidic, okay? Black coats, okay? The fur hats were coming out that night in June. Hallelujah. The shofar was beginning to sound through Crown Heights. 
All of them stopped. They were stunned. I was stunned. Nobody attacked us. Because I'm so used to them attacking us when we were in New York City. And I started yelling out the window, Schneerson's a Navi Shekhar. He's a false prophet. Jesus is the Messiah. Why will you die, O house of Israel? My wife in front of his door, 777 Eastern Parkway, begins to prophesy. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Turns to me, honey, what's the word rend mean? I said, it means to tear. Oh, I don't know. God told me to say rend, you know. So she's prophesying from Joel chapter 2, rend your heart, not your garments. We go around the corner after doing that, and there is the chief rabbi's son of Israel who had gotten saved and got kidnapped before, and they extradited him on a false passport to Israel. He had come back now. He faked that he was not born again, but he really is. He saw us when we drove by. We went that night to every major synagogue in Brooklyn, blowing the shofar, warning them that Jesus is the Messiah, Schneerson's a false prophet. We had no idea. We just had one little raiment from God, okay? I had no idea what happened. It was fun. We, went, we all went back. And what I love about these commando raids is the, the fellowship, the afterglow after it. You know, you're friends with these people for life when that happens. Band of brothers, band of sisters happens. And then so the next day we woke up, and, and this one guy was with me. He wanted to go and buy some Talits and stuff at the Jewish bookstore. So I called the Jewish bookstore. It's Sunday and they're open. And they said, we're closed today. I said, closed? What's happening? Didn't you hear? Oh, what, what's happening now? No, didn't you hear? What? The Rebbe died last night. What? We didn't even know until the next day. That when we blew the show for at 7 p.m., he died 60 seconds later. That whole night, Orthodox from around the world were flying in on chartered Boeing 747, 727s, etc., because they were expecting the Messianic age to begin. He was going to rise from the dead within 24 hours. They were drinking Budweiser, dancing with tambourines. You can see it. It's all documented in our first book. They were dancing with tambourines all night long, rejoicing, expecting for the rabbi to rise from the dead. We heard what happened. I said, forget the Jewish bookstore. This is real-time prophetic. We all got so excited. We took off. Dali, I said, get a babysitter. Watch the kids. I'll meet you there. So we took off, which is not very far away to, to Crown Heights. We get there. Hallelujah. Thousands of mourners. But they weren't mourning. They're all rejoicing. I look at, there's a line going into his personal residence, and I see there a lot of bodyguards. I said, that's where we need to go. Let's go. So we got into the line behind it, and we were standing behind the ambassador of Israel. In front of him was Clinton's envoy, okay, to pay respects. And behind us was Mayor Giuliani's envoy. I was like, hallelujah, we're in the right crowd. So we walk in there acting like we're, you know, paying respects. And we walk around the corner, and there's his, his body, this little old rabbi man, 90 years old, a white sheet, and all these gray-haired um, rabbis all davening, trying to raise him from the dead. And folks, it felt like, being in the center of Haiti and voodoo. And suddenly the Spirit of God came on us. I'm like, Lord, not now, Lord. No. And the Lord told us to prophesy. He's not getting up from the dead. Jesus is the Messiah. And the security, this big old Neanderthal guy, grabbed us and ran us outside real quick. And then somehow he lost control of us. And let go of us, and right in front of us was Channel 11 News, which is a big news station in New York City. It was a live interview going on with a Lubavitch spokesman, with the news reporter saying, and the newspaper was saying, so, so you're, there's no successor? Who's going to take over the movement? And the person says, there is no successor. He is our Messiah. He's going to rise from the dead. And I said, I grabbed the microphone. I said, hey, hey, mom, how you doing? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, Jesus is the Messiah. He doesn't need a successor. And right then, I felt like we were going to be killed. 
All of us with us, they said, man, why did we get out of that? It was like the gnashing of teeth. It was wild. And then we went around the corner, make a long story short, um, they separate the men from the women, okay, just like they do with the Western Wall. And as the sun began to set that evening, they realized that their Rebbe was not going to raise from the dead. And they brought out his body in a pine box, and at the same spot where my wife prophesied the night before, rend your heart, not your garments, they did the opposite. They pulled out knives and began to rend their garments instead of their hearts, which is a sign of mourning, sitting Shiva, okay, at a Jewish funeral on the same exact spot. And that's when the word of the Lord came again. And he said, son, you obeyed me to blow the shofar, the first trumpet of Joel, at the false messiah's headquarters. And I want you to blow the second trumpet of Joel into my church. I did not know there was two trumpets in, the, in Joel chapter 2. I thought there was only one. The second trumpet is, sound the trumpet, proclaim a solemn assembly, which is extended revival meetings. Let them come and weep between the porch and the altar. God, spare thy people. And it shall come about after this type of repentance. I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Hallelujah. But there's more than that. And I'll show the blood. The moon shall turn red as blood, okay? Signs in the heavens, signs in the That hasn't happened yet. That's the second part of Joel's prophecy we're moving into. We've been doing this for 15 years now, traveling. I've been running on that one word for 15 years. Hallelujah. People say, where'd you come from? I said, well, I just, you know, just an Oki from Muskogee, I guess. Whatever. I'm, I'm nobody. I never wanted to preach. But I got hungry. If you get hungry, you get so desperate for God. Hallelujah. And you allow his secret place, his silence. Hallelujah. Cut your brainstem out. Hallelujah. And you start living inside, outside. And he tells you something, whether you want to do it or not, and you obey, everything else will just bloom after that. It will just compound, just compound, compound. Hallelujah. But you've got to let the Holy Spirit be Lord in your life. If he says, turn off the TV, turn off the TV. If he tells you to pray, pray. If he tells you to get up and go give a track to somebody, do it. Most of the time, he'll tell you to do something you don't want to do. Hallelujah. And so, this is why we're going out tomorrow. And we're going to pull into some places. I feel in my spirit... The same anointing right now, blowing the shofar at the false messiah headquarters, I feel the same shofar to be blown and prophesied against the entertainment industry. And I have no idea what God's going to do. It's up to him, but we need to obey, okay? Bring your shofars, bring tambourines, bring uh, any acoustic instruments, bring uh, whatever. Bring your guitar. We want to worship at these places, okay?
thank you for being a part of Rivers in the Desert International, listening to our message today to you. Perhaps you have a friend, perhaps yourself are sitting there and wondering, where would I go if I died today? We'd like to give you a great privilege of praying with us and leading you to a knowledge of Jesus the Messiah. The Bible says, if any man or woman would call upon the name of Jesus, they would be saved. The Greek word for saved is healed, delivered. It's a wonderful promise. You're there now in your automobile, perhaps at home listening. Go ahead and pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to forgive me of my sins. The Bible says, if anybody would call upon your name, they'd be saved. I'm calling today, Lord. Save me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Take all of my sins and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Father, I'm coming running home to you now. In your name I pray. Amen. If you'd like to contact us in our ministry, you may do so by writing us at Rivers in the Desert, P.O. Box 2788 in Alpharetta, Georgia, 30023 in the United States of America. Our ministry phone number is 770-777-0143. Of course, you can reach us anytime, 24-7, at our website contact page at www.flashfloods.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. We are here to help equip you to be tactical warriors in this hour, to wake up this church, to win and disciple lost souls, and to take out terrorism of all forms. God bless you. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Shalom, shalom. Shalom.